Welcome back to Mies Tech Missions Podcast. This is Jake, and I'm going to continue sharing with you this week about our strategy. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about our end goal of a healthy church being planted in our people group, and uh, then we've also talked what that looks like through the missionary task, our, our phases of the missionary task, including uh, entry evangelism, discipleship, healthy church formation, leadership development, and then, of course, a healthy exit. Uh, and in that included uh, so many of the other aspects of why we do what we do and how we came about to the doing the things that we've done. Uh, this week, I want to share with you about teaching new believers how to do evangelism. And this is very important. In my experience as a missionary, I have found that many national churches have a hard time releasing their people to go. Many pastors, local uh, national pastors, maintain a, 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 a tight control over what their people do. And it's with good motivation. Most of the time they're trying to protect the person and the integrity of the work, believing that many new believers don't have the required knowledge or skills to be able to go out and do the job well. And that's very noble and very wise on many accounts because we have seen that in many cases, many new believers don't know what they're doing or what they're talking about, specifically uh, if they've not had uh, a lot of good grounding up into that, uh, the time that they're released. But that begs the question, how much knowledge and skill is necessary for a person to go out and share the gospel and make disciples? How much time needs to pass? Is it a few weeks, a few months, a few years? Do they need to go through a specific curriculum? Do they need to be seminary trained? These questions are important, but oftentimes they're left hanging in the air because there's no real answer to them. Now, this is not to say that these pastors just simply want to control their people. It's just to indicate the fact that they just have a hard time trusting uh, that their people are qualified to go out and do the work. And so what does that mean for missions and our missiology when we are trying to empower them to be the church in this place? We go back to the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, and we look for our missiology from that book because the early church showed us how they did it. Now, is that anachronistic? Is that true for all places and all people for all time? I don't know if that is or not, if it's a supercultural principle or not, but I do believe that it is the best example that we have because these are the men and women that heard Jesus speak and their understanding of his commandment to go and make disciples in all places meant releasing the people to go. When we look in the book of Acts and we see that, of course, in, in Acts chapter 2, uh, the, uh, after the, the, the sermon that Peter preached at Pentecost, thousands of people were b- believed and, uh, they were then grouped into, into house churches that met daily for the purpose of study and prayer and worship and ministry and, and, and evangelism and all the different aspects of the life of a church. But we back, back up to Matthew 28 and Acts chapter one, Jesus command was to go into all the world. That word world is the word ethnos, all of the ethnic groups. And do what? Make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. Acts chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in all places, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uh, to the ends of the earth. 
And so Acts chapter 2 is interesting because Peter preaches for the first time. We have the first record of, of uh, salvations after the ascension. And then from Acts chapter 2 up until Acts chapter 9, everybody is re- has remained in Jerusalem. Of course, there's many things that have occurred. They're dedicated themselves to learning the apostles' doctrine. Basically, the apostles are teaching them everything that Jesus had taught to them. Now, now, not everything, of course, uh, because as John says, if, uh, if everything that Jesus said and did was written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain everything that Jesus said and did. Certainly not within the limited time that they had in Jerusalem between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 9. But what happens uh, in Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8? Well, Stephen... One of the, the six men chosen uh, in, in the Acts chapter 6 uh, preaches the gospel. And the Jews don't like it. And they kill him. And there's a great persecution that breaks out after the martyrdom of Stephen. And then we uh, open up to Acts chapter 9. And everybody's fleeing from Jerusalem. Except for, and this is a very important uh, point, Everyone is fleeing out of Jerusalem except for the apostles. And what are they doing as they're going out? Well, Luke records that they are gospelizing. That's the word that is used. They are gospelizing. They are good-newsing people as they go. So here we have these new believers. Now, whether they're weeks, months, probably not much longer than that, uh, going out from Jerusalem to all of the surrounding areas, gospelizing people, good newsing people because of the persecution led by Saul, which really is very enlightening for us because how much knowledge and skill had they acquired before they went out gospelizing? Now, of course, they were sent out uh, dispersed uh, from Jerusalem because of the persecution. It was kind of necessary that they take the gospel from Jerusalem, move it to Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. And this is the beginning of, of the Acts 1 uh, mission of the church, that they are now taking the gospel outside of Jerusalem into different areas of the world. But for the sake of this podcast, we're, we're, we're taking a look at these new believers sharing the gospel. So at least looking at Acts chapter 9, and then, of course, Acts chapter 11, where the Antioch church was planted, uh, when we look at the missionary uh, journeys of Paul, we see that he stayed with him just uh, sometimes just a few days, a few weeks, a few months, no more than a few years, teaching them daily at times. Uh, But what we see here is not for years and years on end, they are released to go and share the gospel in Acts. And so this is the purpose of sent out ones. They are to raise up and release new believers to go and share the gospel. At least that's what we see in Scripture, that new believers were sharing the gospel. That Yes, they did. there is a process of training that goes up before they go out, but at times that doesn't last but just a few weeks in Acts. And certainly not forever and ever. And so that begs the question, how much knowledge and how much skill is necessary for a person to accurately share the gospel? 
which makes me think that sometimes we make the gospel too difficult. Like, shouldn't children, like Jesus says, even you, you must have the faith of a child to be saved? Like, how much does a person need to know, need to understand to be able to share the gospel? Do you need perfect theology to share the gospel? Do you need to have the right toolkit? Or do you need to have some basics of the gospel and be able to, led by the Holy Spirit, go out and good news people as you go? I look at the New Testament and I see that that is the example specifically in the Pauline ministry. I think about the book of Ephesians chapter 4, that God gave some, some to do these leadership roles. Why? For the purpose of training up and equipping the church to do the work of the ministry. And so part of that, part of that requires releasing them to actually do the ministry, Right? Like, you, you want to release them to do the work. So we use a, a, an illustration from sports. You have a coach that trains up his players in practice and then releases them to play the game. Are they going to make mistakes during the game? Absolutely, they're going to make mistakes in the game. Nobody plays a perfect game. All players make mistakes, and, and that's what practice is for. But the coach doesn't wait until they are perfect in every skill before he allows them to play a game. This is the same metaphor that I want to use for training up new believers to do, to do evangelism. No, they're not going to know every uh, doctrine well. No, they're not going to have every tool to be able to share the gospel well. But what is important is that they go out and do it. Why? Because we are trained to play the game. We are trained to share the gospel. Part of that is allowing them to go out. Think about the ministry of Jesus. When he sent out the the disciples two by two, this was before they had received the Holy Spirit. Did they do it perfectly? No, because later in his ministry, we see that he's still correcting their doctrine. For, for example, let me, let me just illustrate this. Acts chapter 1, after three years of living with Jesus, hearing every sermon, seeing every miracle, Peter, James, and John, being on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing God or seeing Jesus uh, honored by God the Father, and then also the, res- uh, the crucifixion, resurrection, walking with Jesus for 40 days post-resurrection. These men and women who had lived with Jesus all this time still didn't understand the gospel. How do we know that? Well, Acts chapter 1 tells us very clearly that Peter, on this last day, gets up the courage to ask the question that everybody's wondering, like, the Jews had believed that the Messiah would be a conquering king that would deliver, liberating the Jewish people, delivering them from their oppressors, the geopolitical nation of Israel, and establish that geopolitical nation of Israel and the Jewish people, ethnic Jewish people, as a world power in their day. And these disciples believed that they would inherit or be, be named to positions of honor and authority within Jesus' earthly kingdom. Now, wrap your mind around this. They had walked with Jesus, talked to Jesus, listened to all of his sermons, seen all of his miracles, 
had seen the resurrection, witnessed it, and witnessed his resurrection. And they still didn't understand the gospel. So Peter asked him, Jesus, now that you've gotten all of that resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection stuff behind you, now are you going to restore Israel? And you hear that? They did not understand the gospel. Like even on the, uh, you could even possibly make an argument or excuse for Peter, like prior to the crucifixion, although it seems kind of, kind of crazy that after all this time, he still didn't understand. But when, when Jesus is telling him that the son of man is going to be handed over, is going to die. And, 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 and Peter stands before him and says, in no way, Lord. And how does Jesus respond to this man who did not understand his purpose in the world, his mission in the world? Get behind me, Satan. Fast forward a couple of months, and what do you get? You get Peter and the 12 going, Jesus, we still don't understand your gospel. And yet Jesus says, Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to go make disciples of me in all places. So it begs the question, how much is necessary? Now, I am not advocating sending babies out there, uh, spiritual babies out there to 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 spiritual battle. You know, notice that in Jesus chronological study of Jesus' earthly ministry, he did not send the disciples out for a long time. He just had them come and be with him and listen and watch and learn from him. But he also did after 18 months, send them out. Like how much time is enough time? That's the question you and I have to answer. When does a person have enough knowledge to be able to at least share who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? Now, they may never know the word soteriology. That's okay, right? Because I don't know anywhere in Scripture where they use the word soteriology. But we do see the example of new believers, good newsing people as they go. We do see the example of Jesus and then uh, the apostles empowering and releasing new believers to share the gospel. And so this is the foundation for our decision to empower new believers to share the gospel. We believe it's biblical. We believe that we see in the life and ministry of Jesus. We see in the life and ministry of Paul. We see in the life and the ministry of all the apostles in the New Church or the New Testament Church. We see people equipped and sent out, and they are able to do it before they have a full grasp of soteriology. So, how do we do it? The same way we do everything. Life on life. So when we are powering new believers to go out, we, are, we will encourage them to, th- to think of people that they know. Remembering, the gospel runs on the backs of relationships. In the New Testament and in our life today, nearly 90% of all people who come, uh, who visit a church in the United States, they go because of a friend or family member. Not because of a visit from a pastor, not because of a program that 
uh, was advertised on television. They're going because of relationships. The gospel is meant to be a relational message. Not only are we re- are, are reconciled in a relationship to God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, but we are, re- we are uh, integrated into a new spiritual family. That's why the New Testament is is replete with examples of uh, of terminology, new terminology, in the in the new in in the in in the New Testament. Brothers, sisters in the faith, we are adopted into the family of God. God is our Father. Jesus is our brother. We are given a new family when we come to Christ. The gospel is relational. And so God is just as interested in your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ as he is with your relationship with him. It is impossible to love your uh, to love God and hate your brother. That 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 word brother is not just your neighbor, it's your 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 spiritual brother, the person that you go to church with. It is a relational gospel that that all of the all uh, all of the relationships that were destroyed because of the fall, because of sin are being reconciled by the gospel. The gospel is relational. What do we see in the New Testament? That people went and got their their oikos. I mean, uh, Peter went and got, or excuse me, Andrew went and got Peter, and they went and got James and John, and and, and so forth and so on. The all the disciples knew each other. And then we see in in the book of Acts that. Oikos after oikos after oikos is reached. That's why we emphasize gathering your oikos in phase zero going into phase one. Gathering those that you know because the gospel runs on the backs of relationships. And so we ask them, search your oikos for people who are open to the gospel, who are asking questions, who are wondering what's going on. So this is the example uh, the first couple that my wife and I led to the Lord and baptized and discipled here in our, the community where we're at, within just a couple of weeks, uh, they ha- he had begun to share with his brothers and his cousins what he had done. Now, let's back up. He was the first one to believe. His wife was uncertain because of a fear of her family. But she was willing to go along with her husband. But he told me this. I don't want to be alone when I decide to follow Jesus. We, that's the point. You know, even Jesus talked about it, that 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 we will have, to, he, he came with a sword that will divide families. And so there is this division. But the, what we see here is that the gospel was reconciling these relationships, and that the gospel runs on the backs of these relationships. So you think about, uh, think about Lydia in Thessalonica, or excuse me, in, um, excuse me, Philippi, excuse me. Uh, she went and got her family, the jailer in Philippi, went and got his family. People went and got their family. And so what we, so this brother who believed, he went and got his family. His wife decided, his children decided to follow, but he went and got his family within a, uh, within a couple of weeks. Why? Because he told me this, I don't want my family to miss out on this. And so what did we do? He brought his family, his brothers and his cousins, these men, they gathered with me at his house. And for three months, I shared the gospel with these men. 
And at the end of those three months, they believed. And then their wives and then and their children. And now we're seeing extended family coming in. The gospel go, runs on the backs of relationships. It's carried on the backs of relationships. This is very important, specifically in our culture, or in this culture, but I would think even in the, the American culture, what we see is the gospel runs on the backs of relationships. And people aren't saved in isolation. They're saved in groups and whole families coming to faith. And so we now are starting a new group. How do we start this group? Well, it is the mother and father and sister and their children of one of the ladies that is in our group who came to faith through her husband, who came to faith through his brother. So we identify oikoses that are interested. Uh, the first woman who was baptized wants us to go visit her grandparents in another community. Why? Because they're asking questions. And so we teach them, listen, look. Where is the Holy Spirit working? Sounds a lot like Henry Blackaby. If you want to know the will of God, look where he's already working. We teach them, pray, fast, listen, speak, serve your community. And then when people start seeing things, start asking questions, know this. They're not asking questions probably because they're just wondering how crazy you are. They're asking these questions because we're hoping that the Holy Spirit is opening their hearts to want to know the truth. And so we will go, once they identify friends and family, whether it be in this community or in other communities, we go with them. And we start with our strategy, phase zero, the summary story of our evangelism set. And if that group is open, like the current group that we just started this past week, if they're open, then we start an Oikos group in their home. But... At this point, instead of being just the student, that new believer is sitting beside us, and he or she is sharing with us. They're they're filling in the gaps. They're explaining uh, the things that they've heard and that they've learned. They're giving testimony that affirms the, the message of what we're sharing with them. We also take them with us to places that they've never been before, but places that we have relationships with other people. And so they'll, they'll go ride in the truck with us in different communities and they'll watch us as we share the gospel and we'll encourage them to tell their story. Very, in my mind, very New Testament where we just bring them with us. Have we taught them any particular tool? We don't teach them Roman Road. We don't teach them the spiritual laws. We don't teach them any other tricked-up version of, of anything. We just teach them to tell others what Jesus has done for them and what Jesus would do for them. That's, that's it. Good newsing people doesn't have to be complicated. We've known this, that if they invite us into their house and they know why we're there, they're, they're interested. And so we can... We can turn the conversation very quickly into a spiritual conversation. And our new believers are sitting there with us. Perhaps it's their relative or friend, somebody in their oikos. Perhaps it's somebody that we know. But life on life, 
life on life. That is that is the way we do everything, whether it be evangelism training, leadership development, uh, disciple making, life on life. They go with us, and we model it, and they assist us, and then we watch, and then we leave. And this is our evangelism strategy, or at least training up new believers. Our hope is that within the next year in this community, our people are just doing it. They're just doing it. Now, we're getting ready to start our phase three in this community, which is our healthy church formation. And during this time, uh, we will focus primarily on them becoming a church. But they're already involved in sharing the gospel with us. Then comes phase four. And in phase four, we are going to be teaching less to not at all in front of the public group as we tr- focus on the pastor and the leaders. But during this stage, we also are going to be mobilizing these new believers to be a church. What does that mean? The role of the church is to reach his community. And so we will be training them even more, going out with them even more. We're going to encourage them to identify places where they can go and start this process all over. And we will go with them, and we will assist them, but eventually they're going to be empowered to just do it themselves. But there's not going to be just this waiting until they get to the end of our curriculum. There's not going to be any kind of tool given to them except for perhaps we want to teach them how to story. But they are empowered right now to share the gospel because... They have a testimony, and they have the Holy Spirit, and that is enough. Will they mess up? Sure, and we'll have to correct some of the things that they've said and done, but the most important thing is that they learn the truth that because they have a testimony and because they have the Holy Spirit of the living God living within them, they too can share the gospel. And what, what, what have they learned from us because we've empowered them? Well, now they're sharing the gospel all on their own without us. I get reports every week from our, from our brothers here that of, of, of everybody who's asking questions and how they've answered them and uh, how they have defended the gospel even before the community and even before their neighbors. And uh, one particular brother brought in before the city uh, council and interrogated and how he gave his answers. And uh, you know what? They're going to share the gospel because they want to share the gospel. They're going to share the gospel because their lives are different. And so we uh, have empowered them and we're going to we're going to continue to walk with them through this. So anyways, this is uh, uh, a summary of how we we train up our new believers to share the gospel. And uh, in our experience, it, it has produced a lot of fruit. Really enjoyed sharing uh, this aspect of our team's ministry with you. I hope it's been beneficial for you as you've thought about the the uh, biblical foundations for training up new believers to share the gospel in different ways that we can just release them to to do it. And uh, I will continue to share with you a little bit more about uh, our strategy over the coming weeks. But I uh, just wanted to tell you thank you for tuning in today. Uh, may God bless you. Until next time.